Hey, welcome back. I started episode five with the intention of talking about generational trauma based on two decades of me being able to witness and experience the sources and effects of generational trauma on this family. This is part two. If you haven't heard the previous episode, I encourage you to go ahead and listen to it before you listen to the rest of this episode so you can be caught up. We're going four generations deep, so there's a lot to talk about. If you're already caught up, here's a quick refresher, and then I'll jump right back in to continue the story. Now, here's where things get interesting, because we get to introduce a character that is pivotal in inspiring and nurturing what would become the trademark mindset of Grandpa Godley's descendants. Those characteristics are extreme pride and extreme loyalty. So Grandma Kaching marries Godly Jr. and has, I think, about 10 kids with him, which was pretty normal for back then. Godly Jr. was not a great husband as he had children with other women left and right. And at some point, Grandma Kaching and him separated. And Grandma Kaching just raised their 10 kids or however many kids they had together by herself. But she was a very smart businesswoman, so she was able to manage that. And she was heralded as a saint because she helped um, some of his kids from other women. So that was basically the elevator pitch of Grandma Kaching, which is what I got when I first came into the family as well. With a backstory like that, what's not to love and respect, right? Well, let's revisit her about five decades later when she meets her grandson's girlfriend in America. Surely she's even wiser and more compassionate than ever, especially to a young single mom in her 20s who also had to leave a horrible relationship. So of course we were going to bond. I miss those days when I was so sweet and naive. The first time I met her was when she came to visit her grandson, whom I was again dating, at the apartment where we were living together. She would typically go back and forth between the U.S. and the Zaire family's um, motherland. So while she was in the States at that time, uh, some of the family members decided to bring her by so she could see her grandson and the new place he was staying and his girlfriend. I believe when they just came in, I took their coats and offered them something to drink and they just came from a restaurant, so... Some said yes to the offer, and some, like Lola Kaching, declined. We were talking for a while, and at some point, I believe Lola Kaching wandered into the kitchen, and I bumped into her there. I thought at this point maybe she was thirsty, so I offered her something to drink again, with my perky, happy, eager-to-please-and-make-people-comfortable self. I was met with a calm, cold, steely gaze, and a smile that had no warmth in it. And she said, I already told you, we just ate. There was such a coldness, almost a cruelty in the way that she was looking at me. And the tone of her voice held that same dark, steady coldness and undeniable condescension. I don't remember if I even said anything because I was such in shock to receive the blow of that kind of energy coming from her. But what I do remember next was my husband coming into the kitchen laughing and her turning around, her face completely lighting up 
smile up in the corners, literal cherry cheeks, and eyes crinkly, sparkling and warm. This would not be the last time that I would experience this coldness and duplicity from this woman, and she would not be the only one in the family that I would receive it from. Not only did she have no compassion nor openness for me, but she had the family call my husband while we were still dating for a family meeting in which she told him to be sure that my little kids, who had already been through a lot and did not have family for a long time outside of me, were not put on the Zaire family tree. I think my husband lost respect for her from that point on because prior to that, he, like the rest of the family, only saw and heard tales of everything that made her look strong, compassionate, and respectable. Over the following decade, I was able to observe her power and influence over the family. Her demeanor was stoic and calm and almost regal, and she was warm with her grandchildren. When she spoke, she commanded everyone's attention in the family. And she often preached to the new Zaire generation, instructing them to always remember that they were special because of their lineage and connection with Grandpa Godly. I remember one particular instance when she was doing her thing. All the young cousins and kids who were usually running around talking a buzz uh, during these huge family gatherings were just standing quietly around the table in reverence, listening intently to words that promise them significance and connection that will condition them for a sense of entitlement from the gatekeeper of a bloodline from which she herself did not directly descend. Because such an important irony as that would be lost to desires and repeatedly excused by me, the members of that family that were behaving particularly badly were able to get away with quite a lot. Grandma Kaching set that tone with her children's generation, and that got passed down. So by the time I got into the picture, the generation that was below me was already fully indoctrinated. At one of the earliest family gatherings, one of the kids said, Yes, our family's really hard to get into, but once you get accepted, it's so worth it. To me, that was odd because it indicated that the child was taught or otherwise influenced to believe that people outside the family not only had to earn acceptance, but had to work really hard for it. My instincts were correct, as I would find out much later from other family members that married into the Zaire family, that Grandma Kaching was not particularly nice to them either. Which brings us to the third generation of the Zaire family. The children of Grandma Kaching and Grandpa Godley Jr., my husband's parents' generation. I want you to keep in mind a few things before I give a summary of this generation of the Zaire family. 1. Because Grandma Kaching and Godley Jr. had so many kids, their births spanned across the silent and boomer generations. That meant that the eldest being from the silent generation, didn't question what they were told. And being the eldest, especially in an Asian culture, led their siblings and the siblings also obeyed. And two, having an addiction problem does not make one a bad person. 
I want this to be very clear, and I'm going to talk more about this topic in a future episode. In a nutshell, Grandpa Godley Jr. and Grandma Kaching's children were comprised of sons that were drug and alcohol abusers, as well as physical abusers and cheaters, and daughters who were a mixed bag. Curiously, it seemed only the women that had a sense of power, or in a position of power, had a dark side. Now, again, not everyone in this family has narcissistic, abusive, manipulative, or otherwise cruel traits. But because enough did, this family brought into my awareness that there were such things as black sheep families with a few white sheep. So this generation, Grandma Kaching's pride and joy, was clearly riddled with some form or forms of trauma. I didn't get to meet all of this side of the family, but what I would see from this generation and the generation below it was a family that completely embraced the narratives of Grandma Kaching as gospel. So the special status of the Zaire family for being connected to the legend of Grandpa Godley as written and produced by Grandma Kaching would continue to be heavily promoted times ten by her kids and times many, many more by each generation under them. Now, before I go on to the fourth and current generation of the Zaire lineage, which would be the grandchildren of Godly Jr. and Grandma Kaching, I'd like to share a few more interactions I had with Grandma Kaching that gave me further insight on the Zaire family. As you may remember from part one, in my first private interaction with Grandma Kaching, my enthusiasm was met with coldness and condescension. As unsettling as that was, I was still able to hold compassion for the family because I could feel their deep sadness and insecurities, despite their family pride and bravado. So over the following years after first meeting Grandma Kaching, I would just keep showing up as open, warm, and respectful as possible, even though I would be greeted time and again with a smile that wasn't a smile, accompanied by either no eye contact or piercing eye contact that's suspended just long enough to communicate something to me that was not welcoming. She would do this and completely change character and face any time a family member would come up to her. After nearly a decade of this, she would be meeting her new great-grandchild through me. I started having a little bit of hope again with her because she made it abundantly clear that being a blood sire was the only thing that really mattered. And even though I never was going to be a blood sire, she wasn't either. Yet she was able to maintain a position of significance and just validity being a carrier. But as she held my baby and examined it closely, turning it side to side, she said, directing to the baby, but in a tone loud and clear for me to hear from across the room, and nobody else was in the room at this point. Hmm, I wonder, where did you get this X feature? The words themselves, with no context, sound innocent, but the way that she posed the question, it was clear that there was a tone of accusation and an underhanded insult. And for the first time, I was angry. I was angry that she used a moment to bond with my child as an opportunity to criticize and condescend. So for the next few years, out of respect for myself as well as her, I tried to make sure that I was not in any position that left me alone with her. 
My last interaction with Grandma Kaching was at a family holiday get-together. The Zaire family would usually gather from around the country and get lavishly hosted by the generous, loving wife of one of the Zaire men. We'll call her Mama Kindly and her family as the Kind Family because they were as opposite in demeanor, characteristics, value system, communication, relationship, you name it, from the Zaire family as possible. So Mama Kindly would host all the major holidays and she was an amazing hostess. She was the best cook and tried to decorate her home to make every holiday festive and make sure everyone felt comfortable. All of her major get-togethers were essentially for the Zaire family. So on one of those occasions, Grandma Kaching was around, and she, my husband, and I, in that order, were each sitting in a chair that was lined up against the wall. My husband was talking to his grandmother, and at some point he got up to, I guess, get food or do something. And Grandma Kaching then motioned me to sit next to her. I was still a bit wary, but I felt I could be safe this time because everybody was around. Plus, this was the first time Grandma Kaching actually invited me into her personal space to connect. This was really unusual, so I was open to something unusual and extraordinary, such as her finally accepting me after over a decade and a great-grandchild later. I thought maybe because it's the holidays and she'd just spoken with her grandson, maybe she was finally softening up to open a little so that she could see and appreciate me. I oblige and sit next to her and smile at her. She puts her arm around my neck and I'm thinking that she's about to give me a hug, but she continues to pull me closer with that one arm until our foreheads almost touch and I'm smiling this whole time a little bewildered but open, and giving her eye contact, she's smiling at me. And then she says, when we are practically touching, because she'd pulled me that close with her arm around my neck, you don't like me, do you? Her eyes locked into mine. They became cold and piercing, and her steely smile had returned. Again, I was so startled by that shift in demeanor that my first reaction was to pull back, but she tightened her grip around my neck so that in order for me to get out of that hold, which, mind you, just looked like she had her arms slung in a friendly manner around my neck, I would have had to have caused a scene, either by yelling out and asking her to let me go or violently jerking myself free. Somehow, she knew I wasn't going to do either of those things. She knew instead that I would end up doing what I did, which was submit. I want to note that all of this happened very quickly and yet as if time stretched out. It's as if I was invited in for a swim and told the water was warm. And as soon as I got to the deep end, the one who invited me transformed back into their true form, which was a shark. Grandma Kaching was watching me intently the whole time, from invitation to transformation. I could feel her steady calmness as she saw me squirm from her transformation back. After all those years of me trying to be open and connecting with her, and her shunning me or being condescending to me at every turn and opportunity, after all of those years of her making it very clear that I did not belong, that I was not worthy in her eyes, that my kids did not belong and were not worthy. She was going to show up 
pretend that she was being nice to draw me near, knowing that I started to keep my distance because of how unwelcoming she was with me. Then flip the script and accuse me, that of which she was cardinally guilty. The processing of all of this happened within moments. Somewhere in the middle of it, I remember frantically looking around to see if anybody noticed what was going on, but everybody was doing their own thing and it just looked like we were having a friendly, intimate conversation. It was clear to me then that that was her intention when she put her arm around my neck. One thing Grandma Kaching and I had in common was this understanding of the human psyche. When we looked into each other's eyes, we both understood exactly what the fork was going on. She saw my openness and wanted to dive in and make sure that I understood her intention for dominance. I saw her cruelty. Even more than that, I saw her game. I understood in the instant that she asked that question that if I stammered into oblivion, she would have won. Or if I reacted with the anger that I felt, nobody there would believe anything I said in my defense, and she would have won. I remember my heart and mind were just racing as she held me close and stared me down. Somehow, in the midst of wondering what the fork she was asking me, and asking myself, is she really putting me in a forking headlock? I was able to muster an undoubtedly confused smile and ask, why would you think that? She looks at me steadily and stares at me for a moment longer. Then suddenly, she just releases her arm and leans back, breaking eye contact, then shrudges her shoulders and says, Oh, I was just wondering, just like that, as if nothing effing crazy just happened. Is there a happy ending to the story? Were we able to just turn everything around? Was I able to help break the cycle of generational trauma with the new Zaya generation? I'll answer those questions in the next and final installment of this series, as well as my takeaways from this experience and tips and tools to help you as you navigate hurt people who hurt people from generational trauma. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. Every day is an opportunity to exercise your integrity, humanity, and compassion, including for yourself. May you go with the company of good, the endurance of love, the beauty of wonder, and the dignity of kindness. Thanks for tuning into The Hero Frequency. 